Before we even started building the product, we actually left school, did all independent studies, lived in Robbie's mother's basement, um, and, and actually worked full time in these care facilities. So it wasn't like us trying to read books and, and learn and absorb just that way. We, you know, put everything aside and we said before we begin building this, before we really, you know, start start putting the the code together, let's actually go and, and live and learn and breathe and, and be with these folks who we're trying to serve. And, and I think that really set us apart, especially as we have our sales conversations, as we talk to our customers, as we talk to people in this space, I think they quickly know that that we understand their day to day because we've, we've been there, we've worked with them alongside, we've, we've lived that. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of the 501 Hustle. I am your host, Vivek, and we are here today with Robbie and Evan. What's up, y'all? How are you? Great. How are you doing? Fantastic. Evan Jackson is a student at Brown University, where he double majors in economics and religious studies. My name is Evan Jackson, um, co-founder and, and chief operating officer at Intis Care. Throughout his collegiate experience, Evan has served as a student activist by coordinating events seeking to increase campus-wide political and social engagement. Growing up in Dallas, Texas, I um, had an opportunity to really get involved in the political and social um, scene at Brown, doing a lot of work with the Black Student Union, bringing different campus or bringing different speakers to campus to really increase that political and social engagement. I'm um, really just spreading awareness about different issues that I felt were very impactful. Evan is passionate about entrepreneurship and is the co-founder of a multi-million dollar healthcare technology startup focused on developing care management and hospitalization prevention tools for elderly care facilities. Working on Intis Care, um, something I'm very passionate about, especially about improving outcomes in the geriatric space. He and his team have been featured in publications such as the Boston Globe, American Innos 2525, and the Global Newswire for their work in entrepreneurship. In the future, Evan plans to use his entrepreneurial knowledge and leadership skills in order to spur innovation and leave an impactful track record of success. Robbie Felton, founder and chief executive officer of Intis Care, is an avid geriatric care advocate. My background really focused on geriatric health care, and that's due to my mother. I grew up with her. She was a geriatric social worker who would take me with her on home visits to see her elderly and disabled patients. So I got very well acquainted with the space at a young age, and that had a tremendous impact on me watching her take care of high risk and vulnerable patients within their homes. For his research and work at Intis Care, he has been a featured presenter at the National Pace Association, the Brown Lifespan Center for Digital Health, and was recognized by American Inno for Rhode Island Inno's 2019 Inno Under 25. And a lot of that research was presented in my National Pace Association presentation, as well as in my uh, Center for Digital Health presentations at, at Brown. Robbie was class president each of three years studying public health at Brown University. At Brown, I was class president uh, all three of the years uh, that I was in school there and really focused on, on diversity and, and engaging underrepresented groups on our campus. And his hometown is Ann Arbor, Michigan. So Y'all's 501 Hustle is a multi-million dollar healthcare technology startup called Intis Care. Can y'all tell us a little bit more? Just give us kind of a high level overview of what Intis Care really does. So at Intis Care, our mission is to empower long-term care providers through data to deliver more effective care 
to the older adults that they serve. So really, we want to help these organizations be data-driven in their care planning, care management, care delivery. We do that by leveraging their data, improving their workflow so that overall they can improve clinical outcomes uh, while reducing costs. Essentially, you know, what we do is we're helping these organizations make decisions about the care for their patients and the direction of their organizations. Um, so our job is to provide them with all the data resources that they need to make informed and educated decisions based on the numbers. You guys touched on it. it's, it's geriatrics, obviously, but can you tell us a little bit more about what organizations when you say that, like who you're working with? Yep. So we're working with organizations who are typically directly contracted by Medicare and Medicaid to take care of the most high-risk, high-cost patients. So these organizations will coordinate all the care services for these very vulnerable elderly patients, um, a lot of them low-income, underrepresented groups. And really what they'll do is um, make sure that they're getting every single service they need to be healthy um, or to uh, increase their longevity and, and sustainability within their lives. So whether that's getting them physical therapy or bringing them into a facility, uh, setting them up with social services, uh, connecting them with primary care providers, getting them to their specialty appointments, home care, assisted living, nursing homes. They're really all encompassing in terms of making sure these people have what they need. So for us, it, it really creates a, a perfect opportunity because these are the organizations that have the most points of potential interventions with the patients that they serve. So having the data um, really gives them a unique position to be able to use that data to apply really throughout any anywhere on the patient's care continuum. Rob, you mentioned uh, you want to make sure all these patients are getting the actual care and treatments that they deserve. Um, are you guys offering those treatments or you're providing the data to people who then provide the proper services? We're, we're providing the data to the people who then provide the proper services. So we're a directly B2B um, organization that's selling directly to these long-term care organizations. Rather than providing the services, we're optimizing the delivery of the services. So making sure that they're being provided proactively and the most best practice preventative interventions are being applied when they need to, uh, to the benefit of the patient. So what is this data you're looking at? Right. So we're, we're collecting clinical, financial, and operational data from these organizations. So we're integrating directly with their electronic health record that houses all their patient records, um, health history, uh, pharmacy information, all that really core medical data. Next, it's the financial information. So looking at claims, how these organizations are being reimbursed, what services are being utilized, as well as looking at the accounting. So um, where are they spending? Uh, where are their high expenditures? And how can they optimize those expenditures? Um, lastly, we're looking at operational information. So care coordination and scheduling. So um, what resources within an organization are being utilized, when and how to take care of these patients, um, and how can we help them optimize those workflows as well? I took a class in, at Brown called, uh, it was, I think it was just, oh, it's healthcare in the US, right? And one of the key things that like, I'll, I'll always remember from that class was about how the incentives in the healthcare industry are completely misaligned, whether you're an insurance agency, you're a doctor, you're a your patient um, or anyone in between. So I'm wondering, is the data that you're finding um, and then using to, to help these doctors like provide proactive care, is this data solving any issues of misaligned incentives or is it more providing data that they really just didn't have? 
Right. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I I also took that class with Dr. Ira Wilson, who's a a great advisor of mine um, during my time at Brown. And yeah, in healthcare, for the most part, the the incentives are are backwards, perverse. Um, you might even say so. That's really how how it was in in the primarily fee for service system. Uh, so we've aligned with organizations on the opposite side of the spectrum. So value based care organizations. So rather than uh, paying for or getting paid for volume as a provider, you're getting paid for the value or quality of care. So organizations we're working with are are typically fully capitated. So they're risk bearing and they have to provide high value of care um, if they want to have their their financial outcomes um, really um, positive. Evan, you can talk a little bit more about how capitation and that that value-based care um, incentive system works. Yep. No, no problem. So really that capitated and value-based incentive system aligns the clinical with the financial outcomes. So in a capitated model, an organization is getting a set fee um, a set fee every month to take care of all of the needs of that patient, just like Robbie said, coordinating all those services, which really creates a perfect alignment with us, right? Our whole goal is to keep patients out of the hospital, improve performance and improve clinical outcomes. And so by doing that in these organizations that are capitated and value-based, that's directly saving them, saving them money. Um, so really it's a, it's a win-win for both us and the organizations that we serve. And, and really ultimately the big win is for the patients. So y'all are, I mean, relatively young, I would assume for people trying to like break into the medical industry. Uh, I guess like how the heck are you reputable <laughs> or how do you go in and um, how are you cultivating this data? Like, was this not done before by other experts in the medical industry or how did you come across this problem and become the leaders in solving it? I, I, I like to think of us like Phineas and Ferb entrepreneurs. <laughs> we, get, we, get that we get that question all the time. Aren't you a little bit young to be, yeah. to be changing the geriatric space? Well, you know, yes, yes, we are. But I, I think, you know, through Brown, you know, through through the mass challenge, through the 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 wealth of of our brain trust and the network that we built, we really had advisors and mentors with vastly more experience than us who have really poured into us and been there every step of the way to not only pr provide that credibility, but also to teach us what we don't know and help us as as we continue on this journey. Um, and over the past, you know, two, three years, we, we've really, you know, been sponges and tried to absorb all that information from the folks who, who have so much to teach. I think to, to add to that, people that we meet with within this space find it refreshing that we're coming in essentially de novo. So we're unfiltered, really unadulterated by what uh, is really broken in the healthcare system, what might be slow, what might not work. Um, and we're coming in with just a fresh yeah. uh, viewpoint and opinion on what can be built. So we're not thinking about what are the time constraints, what are the administrative constraints. We're basically building this from the ground up on what we think will work for providers coming from providers, not from what, I don't know, the, the healthcare system is, has deemed to be something that can work. Um, so we've <clears throat> gone in, spoken with providers and said, Hey, teach us what you know. Um, like, what in an ideal world would work for you? Throw aside everything you 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 really know about budget, everything you know about administrative tasks. What actually is the product that that would be most helpful for you? And let's build that for you, and we can figure out the rest after. 
and people really like that. And it's, it's made our product really useful and sticky for these people. Um, and I think that's just something that's so needed right now in, in healthcare and in such a complex, slow to innovate space. It's interesting. Um, you know, right away, like I would assume and, and other people, you know, you as individuals might assume my age might be an inhibitor of pr- proving my legitimacy, but the more I talk to entrepreneurs, the more like as an entrepreneur myself that I go through it, I realize how we can all leverage our ages uh, to our advantage. And it seems like you, that was a great answer what you guys said about, you know, they actually see the value in you bringing in a fresh perspective. So I love that you guys figured out how to basically not avoid your age, but actually use it to your advantage. That's really awesome. So, okay. Just to paint a better picture for our audience, do you have some sort of like anecdote or example of like, what data you were able to put together, find who you provided it to, and then how they implemented that to a patient and the change that you actually saw? Yeah, for sure. So I, I have an example, Evan, I'm sure you have one as well. Yep. But we were looking back, uh, or we got one of our customers reached out to us late Q1 of this year and said, hey, we just noticed something about our Q4 2020 data. Our utilization Um, was uncharacteristically high. And they were able to drill down using our software to see why their expenditures were high. And they found out that it was due to potentially preventable infections leading to hospitalization. Mm. So we wanted to go a little more high touch with this. So we we did a deeper dive and saw, well, first adjusted for COVID-19, of course. Um, And we saw that COVID-19 was accounting for about half of that potentially preventable um, cost within their organization. Wow. But still, it was a, a major cost even without COVID-19. So just by uh, checking on groin infections and, and UTIs, we saw uh, there was a major detriment to their finance um, not getting ahead of these infections. So now we're in the process of putting into place, well, first identifying who those individuals are who are most at risk. And we saw that through our, our, our proprietary modeling that patients that we categorized as high risk were making up 88% of those infections. And it was only a, a small subset, about 23% of their, their patient population that we had identified as high risk. Wow. So yeah, high incidence rate for, for infections in that high risk group. So now the next step is implementing interventions. So allowing this organization to put in their be- put into place their best practice preventative interventions with those high risk patients to mitigate all of that future cost uh, due to those uh, potential hospitalization I think I think that's a really great specific example and I'll kind of zoom out a little bit and talk more in general terms um so just as we've been saying essentially our job is to, to help these organizations with performance monitoring and predictive analytics. I think on the predictive analytics side, it, it's a little bit easier to visualize. Um, so for example, with that clinical predictive analytics, if you're, let's say you're an elderly person in an elderly care facility and we're working with that facility, we can look at your health history, look at a list of your conditions. So do you have chronic kidney disease? Do you have diabetes? Do you have cancer? How are these diseases interplaying with each other? And we're looking at things like, have you had a recent fall? Have you recently been to the hospital? Have you recently had a utilization event? And with that information, we're able to tell these organizations if you're at very high risk for, let's say, an upcoming hospitalization, an upcoming readmission, 
If you're at high risk for chronic kidney disease, diabetes, a wealth of, of chronic diseases, if you're at high risk for a fall, infection, really all of that information we're providing to these organizations so that they can say, okay, John Smith is at high risk for a hospitalization. What can we do as a care team to change that plan of care so that this hospitalization that's supposed to come never comes? And that's, that's really what we're here to do. What you're saying is obviously really cool. And it's, it's amazing that you guys are doing this, but at the same time, I would assume that like, this is a feature that doctors or healthcare facilities would naturally already have invested in or wanted. Um, why isn't it, why hasn't it been there? Yeah. So really the long-term care space has been overlooked. Mm. Most of the innovation you hear about is like you said, hospitals, um, doctors working in, in that setting. Mm. Um, there's a major focus on, on those types of facilities. Um, acute care facilities, even some interest in uh, like post-acute care, as well as major focus on, on specialties and, and surgical procedures, um, providing innovation in, in those aspects. But overall, long-term care is, is overlooked for that innovation, both in terms of data, software, um, new uh, models for for reimbursement so like the ehr interoperability wave is now just coming to the long-term care space um, a lot of these value-based payment models are are now making more headway in the long-term care space so it's really in a market and a area of care that is ripe for change so it's just i'd say a piece of, of, of per perfect timing for us yeah. um, to come in and be able to provide this analysis to these organizations um, because they're ready and uh, it's 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 going to be too much benefit of the patients and, and the providers to have some of these more innovative practices make it to their uh, niche of, of healthcare. And and I, I personally really think that's one of the really beautiful things about the story of, of Robbie and his, his mom, you know, growing up in it, it wasn't like, you know, looking and searching for the industry that had all these problems, all these difficulties, what's being overlooked. It was really more so from the inside out of seeing these problems day to day, day to day, day to day. And now for us being fortunate to be in a, in a position to where we can help to solve them. Yeah. So Robbie, why don't you tell us, I know you hinted on in the beginning and, and Evan just kind of talked about it, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you learned about this with your relationship with your mom um, and then how you guys decided that this was a problem you want to attack and then thugged it out in the basement. Right. Yeah. Uh, like I said, early on was with my mother going on these home care appointments uh, while she was a social worker. But then as she transitioned to more of a, an administrative and an executive role at this health plan and geriatric health care facility, a program of all-inclusive care, I got to see what was happening behind the scenes um, rather than just patient facing and realized that uh, there are a lot of inefficiencies um, just in general across the space, just due to people still using paper and, and Excel to do uh, any sort of analytics, to do any sort of tr tracking. And I was, I was going over my mother's books one day and I realized, yeah, things could could change prior to one of her board of directors meetings. And I was like, mom, there's so much data here that you could be leveraging to improve what you're doing. I'm like, have you seen this? Like, there's a trend here. There's uh, something you could change here. You're spending a lot here. What's the reason for this? Um, how does this compare to your peers? And all these gears 
started turning, turning, turning and, and realized like there's an opportunity here to help her, to, to help people like her and to improve this much necessary space that we'll all be in. All of us will be long-term care patients one day. So uh, it was, it was honestly perfect timing. So I got together with Evan and our two other co-founders and we just started researching. Um, I was already doing some specific research on the space, but we went in depth, very in depth doing secondary research, putting together that secondary research and going and beginning primary research. So speaking with every single person we possibly could in this space, we got our ideas together. Um, one mass challenge did Brown University's breakthrough lab and left school just to research full time. So like Evan said, living in my mother's basement, that was back in 2019. And we were in and out of facilities for several months, learning from everyone, um, from the janitor to the CEO, just finding out what, what is the workflow? Where are their inefficiencies? What is your day-to-day? Why do you do what you do? And what would improve that? Uh, so spent, like I said, several months until we got kicked out because of the, the pandemic, couldn't be in facilities anymore. And that's when we, we raised our pre-seed funding round. And with that, wanted to go really in depth with some pilots while we co-built the product and got even more insight, uh, got access to a greater level of data, started running our own analysis, and then eventually got the product to where we were ready to take it to market um, and start to scale, scale to more organizations. So our first three pilot facilities were in Rhode Island um, at one organization. And then we ended that pilot October, started to go to market October, and now we've scaled to 2,000 patients um, in three different states, seven organizations. Actually, no, eight organizations now, 2,200 patients as of a couple of days ago. Um, and almost we're about to, what was that, Evan? I said in almost 25 facilities. Yeah, almost 25 facilities. And we're closing on our, our seed funding round in the next two weeks. So it's very exciting for us. You know, you're one of the first people I think that I've had that have actually gained experience raising money on pre-seed, now a seed round. Can you tell us a little bit about like how that worked? Um, what you kind of pitched these investors, why you needed the money? So the, the fundraising piece has been, uh, honestly, it's the, the most difficult, mm-hmm. um, laborious part of, of being a, a startup or being an entrepreneur. Just because, I mean, fundraising is necessary. It's, it's hard to do, but it's not, it doesn't feel like you're contributing to the day-to-day of your business. Like, mm-hmm. like the past three months fundraising, I've, I've barely been able to assist on product or assist on sales, assist on marketing. It's been full-time job trying to convince investors to, to give us uh, money. So that, that process has been um, quite a bit, but when people see the product, see and speak with our customers and, and really see the value that we're providing, see the major opportunity here and the plan that we have to expand, um, it becomes a much different conversation and people are really interested in, in investing. So that's why we were able to close that on our round. Um, so we're really thankful for that. In terms of the way we've gone about fundraising, uh, luckily, like the Brown Network is, is huge. Um, Plenty of people working in, in venture capital, plenty of angel investors, people who are 
mission driven and want to help us grow and scale this this company as investors and as advisors and as um, networkers. So that's how we've really gone about fundraising, leveraging our network to raise the money, raise the capital that we need to be successful. And to add to that as well, I think what we've definitely seen is it's all about relationships. I remember the first time we were fundraising, Robbie, and really the we had, we had been searching for a little bit, not too long. And and the way it happened was Robbie and I actually went to go meet and 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 hear a little bit from one of my economics professors. And after telling him a little bit about our venture, he was like, "Well, there's someone I think you guys should meet." Um, introduced us, and within the next two months, that was our pre-seed investor. Um, and oh, wow. our first our first real serious capital in. And so it's it's always funny the way those things work, and and how just building the relationship having no idea would come to this, you know, turned out to be really beneficial. So once you got the money, what was the plan after that growth strategy wise? That, so that, that initial capital in was really for us to build a product and, and validate product market fit. So essentially our real goal there was to leave, um, you know, with that capital and build an MVP, build a workable MVP, secure a pilot, complete a pilot. And if we were lucky, make a couple of sales. Um, we did that very quickly, built a built an MVP, built a product over the summer, had a successful pilot. They became our first paying customer. And once again, just like Robbie said, um, went to market in late, late Q4 of, of 2020. Um, and since then, working with almost 25 facilities um, across eight organizations in, in four different states now. So so pretty quick turnaround. So, so that's what I think made raising this new seed round um, a little bit more straightforward with some of the traction that we got from that initial <laughs> What's your revenue model? How does that work? So we have a directly B2B revenue model. Um, we're selling directly to those organizations. Um, we charge them a setup fee really for the cost of integrating on our end um, okay. and then a subscription per patient per month fee. And essentially that integration fee is, is pretty key because one of the really special things about our company is the organizations that we work with never have to input any data into the, our software. So there we actually integrate directly with their existing workflows. So we'll integrate with, let's say their QuickBooks. Um, their electronic health record, like their Epic, their Cerner, Athena, you name it. Um, we'll integrate with their operational and staffing data sources. And we're pulling all that information with no manual entry needed by them on their end wow. to provide the analytics automatically. That's always up to date, always updating based on the data that they put in. So it's, it's a really special software. So are all these guys using similar softwares then? Like, I mean, you don't have to make a new type of thing every every facility you reach out to, right? Yeah, it's not quite standard. Okay. Um, but there's there's a couple players that I mean, once we get the integration once, <clears throat> it's no problem for us to just really plug and play the API that our, our CTO created for that specific data source, and uh, just pretty smooth integration from there. Gotcha. Well, whoever your CTO is, probably smart as hell. Might 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 be the smartest person I know. The way I first actually heard about our CTO Alex him and his friends were were winning all the the, the little hackathons around mm. <laughs> around campus and everything and then we just happened to be paired up together in an entrepreneurship class and the rest is history but 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 you know what was you know what was crazy about the story is initially we went into the class not paired up so essentially the class was an entrepreneurship class you come with two maybe three partners you come with an idea you pitch it and hopefully you get into the class right so wow. The first day we're all going around, people are like, oh, I want to build a social networking company or, oh, I want to build um, a podcast or, oh, I want to build a, a biking company. And then we got around, of course, the only people who are like, okay, we want to change the lives of geriatric people yeah. using data. We keep going, you know, the next person, oh, I want to build, I don't know, uh, um, uh, 
a, a, a streaming platform. And then all of a sudden it gets to Alex and he looks at us and he goes, I want to build an analytics company for geriatric patients throughout the country. And we look at each other and, and we were looking for a CTO at the time. And he was like, and I do tech. And the, re- the rest was history. Are you serious? He just happened to be on the same page? Happened to be on the, it was, it was, it was my Well, well it, it's, it's his uh, family members are attorneys in healthcare uh, and their, their clients were facing like a similar problem. So he had some, some uh, information there, which was, um, really what guided him. So kind of similar pathway to me or us coming to that conclusion, just a family member hearing or knowing of a problem like this specific problem in healthcare. What's the next plan after you, you raise this, this seed round, you just going to keep expanding or are you going to iterate what you have with current users or what? Need to expand the team for sure. Okay. Um, so, so we need, uh, to really sophisticate our, our sales team um enhance our engineering team because we've done a great job so far working fairly lean with our team but to scale and grow rapidly we need the right team around us mm. uh talented experienced um that's gonna make this from 2000 patients to 10000 patients and from 10000 patients to 100000 patients so okay i want to go back to this this basement living in the basement thing but more than like what you did, you know, in your basement and the research you did, I'm really curious as to like how that felt. Like, what were you nervous? Were you like, we're never going to get out of here? Or were you like, we're stuck here, so we're going to make it work? Or like, like what, what are the thoughts, the mentality, the feelings around that? I've never really been in that position. I was going to say, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on it, Robbie, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to paint the picture because it was, it was not, it wasn't, it wasn't easy as amazing as as was. We were so grateful for, for, you know, his family opening it up to us, but you know, it was four of us in the basement, Michigan winter. So it was freezing. You have one fireplace, two couches. So if you're lucky, you get a couch and then the other two are on the floor on the carpet. Um, and then, you know, waking up every morning and then going into the geriatric facility. So for me personally, I knew it wasn't something we would be doing forever, but that didn't make it any easier. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I I think, you know, down, down in that basement, we we created a a really special bond between all of our, our our founders. Like if we could make it through that just by ourselves, you know, no one really working with us, no one really working for us. It was just us together, making it through. Um, I think those are, you know, even unwork related, just our relationship and the bond that we have, I think that was a place that it, it was really fostered and, 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 and strengthened. Yeah. I, I remember one night where we were going to basically print out like reports we had uh, made and give it to one of the facilities we were working in mm-hmm. and we were going to print out like 20 of them. We started at, I don't know, seven, six or 7 PM. Then my printer broke just completely jammed, had to drive across town to get ink. Um, just absolute madness up till 2 a.m. trying to print out uh, just reports to give to this organization, putting them in binders, making them look nice. <clears throat> Exhausted, I had to get to the we were, facility was maybe two or three hours away. So we had to wake up at 6 a.m. Um, woke up, someone had left the dress shirt, had to iron it, had to borrow one of my dress shirts. Just like absolute madness. We're all like exhausted, cranky in the car. Then we get there and like probably had one of the, the most insightful meetings of, of our, our career um, going in there. And they were so 
grateful that we had printed out this like interesting report to help them out really without them asking. Um, but I don't think there was a point in time where like in that basement where I was nervous, like, damn, is this going to work? Like, right. is, are we wasting our time? I think I just had so much confidence, confidence in, in our team and our idea and just knowing that the people we were going to, to help would find use in what we were building them really just kept me going. Um, like there was not a, a moment of doubt in there during that time. Um, so I thought it was, it was fun. I thought it was fun mm -hmm. to be in the basement, kind of bumming it out, just grinding day in and day out. So I think that was, that's one of the times I'll look, I'd say most fondly back at, um, during, during our, our, our lifetime of, of this company. I love to hear it. What a, what a great story. From rags to riches, truly. <laughs> awesome. Uh, from, from rags all the way. Not yeah, all the way. <laughs> from rags to towel. Yeah, to <laughs> towel. We're towel. Yeah. We have an apartment now. We're, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, anyway, okay. So this was a great talk. Thank you all for joining us. I, I just generally had a great time with you guys. This is super interesting stuff. Um, and again, like kudos to being so young and going in and changing the geriatrics industry who knew um and, and raising the money that you guys have and building the team that you guys have it's like if anyone wants to build a company that's listening you guys should totally look into what these guys have done and kind of model what they've done in terms of research building a team figuring out how to talk to investors raise money they've pretty much done the whole thing so thank you all so much for being here um i just want to wrap up with one more question which is, uh, it actually kind of goes back to the collab opportunities y'all were talking about. Can y'all just verbally highlight um, how our community might be able to get involved with y'all, whether it's you know spreading the word or actually wanting to join the team? Um, and then I'd love to put that in the description and obviously highlight that on our Instagram as well. Yeah, so we have several hiring opportunities. Um, you can get in touch with any of us at our first name at intiscare.com. So for myself, Evan at intiscare or excuse me, Evan at intis.care and Robbie at intis.care. So our, our first names and at intis.care. Um, currently we're hiring for several positions. Number one on our list is on the tech side. We're hiring for both front end, back end and full stack developers, as well as PMs currently. Um, on the business side, we're hiring for, for a head of sales. We're hiring for a, a head of customer success. Um, and then on the clinical side, we're really looking for public health clinical folks to come in and help us improve our model and, and build on our interventions. And really anyone who's interested in starting a venture, interested in healthcare, long-term care, digital health, feel free to reach out. Like we're happy to share resources, have a conversation, bounce back and forth ideas. Um, we're completely open um, and, and willing to help whoever needs it. Well, thank y'all so much. And everyone listening, thanks y'all for tuning in to this week's episode. Hope you had a great time and we will catch you next week. See you and have a great weekend.